0: Bible, Joshua chapter 24, and our series has taught us now in the very last chapter of this book of the Bible, Joshua chapter 24, and our series has taught us that ready, in the last chapter of this book of the Bible, Joshua chapter 24, and our series has taught us that ready or not, life is coming. There's nothing you can do to slow down time. You've, you've just got to live a life that is prepared, and that's what Joshua really taught us. He seemed to have a knack for always being prepared in one step for that which you would do. In the next step of life as a young man, we know he was a great listener. When Moses would speak, he would listen. When the word of God was taught, he would listen. When Moses needed a helper or a minister, that's what Joshua did. He said, I'll help Moses. I'll serve Moses. He did good there. And that led him to a point in his life where when they needed more soldiers in the Israeli army, Joshua became a soldier. He did well as a soldier and he had an occasion where they needed spies and Joshua was selected to be a spy representing his nation in that way. They needed leaders in the military, generals, as we would say. He was prepared by what he had done for that step. And then when his mentor, his predecessor, Moses, had died, there was a vacuum of leadership in his nation. And Joshua had been prepared, 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 and and here at this moment, he just kind of stepped into that position as God led him. He had been prepared along the way. Now, the life of Joshua is not the story of a perfect life. There's no perfect lives. Listen to this. He's the story of a man who marginalized the weaknesses he had in his life because he made great decisions along the way. We all have strengths, we all have weaknesses, as did Joshua. But he learned how to kind of marginalize the weaknesses in his life by making great decisions along the way. In other words, he lived life ready. He was prepared. There were many times he did not know what to do next in his life. But even in those moments, he was prepared in that he kept the lines of communication open with God so that he could find out what it is that needed to be done next in his life. Now today, as we finish this series, I want you to see that that his real success in life was found in the fact that he thought of others in his preparation. He lived life ready, but he wasn't a selfish man. He, he thought of others along the way. He wasn't content to be a champion or a winner in the midst of struggling people. For him, success wasn't being, number one, surrounded by people who were suffering. He, he decided what he wanted to do in life was be all that he could possibly be, by helping everybody around him become what they could become in the course of their lives. He he wanted to be ready in life, but he wanted others to be as well. As we're going to see in a moment, that's how he was at the end of his life. And as we've gone through this study, we started in the beginning, we're going to conclude at the end, and we're going to see that was his heart at the end of his life. But as we started this study a couple months ago, Starting in in Joshua chapter 1, we kind of began to learn a little bit about how this guy was put together, how he was wired. If we were to take the time to go back to Joshua chapter 1, as we started, the Bible says this, Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan. Now, if you're picking this study up mid-course, or here we are at the end, that was the first uh, statement Joshua made. He went on to say, To go in, possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you. To possess it. The very first word he uttered as a leader was this word. Prepare. Get ready. Ready or not, life comes quickly. The very first word he shared as a leader was prepare. Now one of the risks in life of living for success is missing the purpose for it all. We live in a culture where people, they press, man, they claw, they do all they can. We've got to be successful, and not only are we fuzzy on the definition of successful, sometimes in the midst of our struggle, we, we need to be reminded, wait a minute, why am I doing this again? What is the point or the purpose of all of this? And Joshua was the kind of man that understood that real success always involves the realization that we only permanently succeed in life as we develop others around us. There is no permanent success in us because we have a shelf life. Physically, we all have limits. So, so real success involves developing those around you. Sometimes we'd say those who come behind you. So ready or not living is, is about being prepared and about preparing those around you. This text that we're going to study today in Joshua chapter 24, it was at the end, as I've said, of his life, but really it was kind of more of like a, a farewell address. In fact, we're going to study the whole chapter. I chose not to read the whole chapter with you today. We'll read one verse together, and we'll kind of highlight the chapter as we go through. But the one verse we're going to read today, it's kind of a verse that's used a lot to help people in family life. And so if you're here today and you are a part of a family, that would be all of us. Uh, Maybe you're you're trying to make your family stronger. I hope that would be all of us. The one verse we're going to read together today is a verse that will help you and your family even. But... Joshua wasn't exactly talking to his family when he made this statement. He was addressing an entire nation. A whole group of people who most of them known them, known him their entire lives, observed his life. And these were his parting words, important words. And uh, I I think they can help us today. Now, I promise today to do my very best to teach something that will be helpful. I don't want to waste your time today. I want you to go out those back doors and knowing, you know what, I received a truth today, a thought today, a statement today that's going to help me tomorrow. Uh, That's my prayer. But I know this, I cannot do enough work to make that happen. We've got to work together to make that happen. So I'd like to invite you all to join me in standing. We're going to look to God's Word today, and as we look to this verse that we're going to read in a moment, we'll have a time of prayer. And I hope as I'm praying, asking God to help me, that you'll be praying, saying, Lord, would would you help me as well? Would you open my heart? Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, this is kind of mid course in this final address to the nation and here's what Joshua says he says if it seem evil unto you to serve the lord choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the amorites in whose land ye dwell but as for me and my house we will serve the lord now this was quite a statement um here's joshua and he's saying um look guys if if serving god seems like something you're not interested in too difficult for you more more than you want to do he said you've got to decide who you're going to live for because everybody lives for something all of us will come to a place where we're old like joshua was and we're not looking forward to life we'll be at the end looking back on life and and we'll want to know at that point that we live for that which matters and so here he is as a leader saying, look, we've been together, my, my life, most of you, for all of your life, as he was the, the older one, they, they would have known him uh, their whole lives. And, and he's saying, listen, you're going to live for something. You can live for God or you can live for the, the evil gods of the land where they were. He said, now let me just tell you, as far as my family, we've already decided we're going to serve God. We're going to live our lives with this mindset. What would the Lord have us to do today? As a husband, he could think, God, all right, I want to do this right. Help me out. As a father, he would have had those thoughts. He said, we've decided. We've made this decision. At the end of verse 15, here's the three words that I really think serves as the, the heartbeat of this final address. He said in the end of this verse, these words, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. I want to think on this today. Lord, I am so grateful that I get to be here with these people and I get to open uh, your word and, and teach and share. And, and God, I pray that as your word is preached today, that people would be helped. And, and Lord, as I said a moment ago, may we work together in this. I, I pray that our hearts would truly be open, that we'd be receptive to whatever you have for us. Uh, Lord, maybe we're here today and we kind of have a sense of, of an area that's in need of help. In our lives, and I pray we'd be open to that. But Lord, it may be that you'd totally blindside us today and, and bring a truth in that we maybe weren't even thinking of, but when we are confronted with it, we're aware that it's an area that uh, we, we need to make a decision about. Uh, open our hearts, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I want to begin today by telling you a little bit about myself. Uh, I, I was born a sinner. Now, that's maybe not a great way to introduce yourself, but that's how life began for me. I was born a sinner. I've, I've done sins. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, that everybody has sinned. And I won't ask for a raise of hands today, but don't get too judgmental of me because you're probably one of those too, all right? I'm a sinner. And being a sinner meant I could not have a relationship with God. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't pay for it. I couldn't merit it. There was nothing I could do because, you see, God's perfect, and I'm not. And God, being a holy God, can't look at a sinner and say, hey, no problem. Don't worry about it. Hey, everybody messes up. No big deal. It's a big deal. You can't have a relationship with a perfect God if you're not perfect. But here's what God did in his love for me. And maybe this would be your story, but I'm telling my own right now. In his love for me, he he became man without ceasing to be God, Jesus Christ, God the Son. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay for my eternal salvation. You see, the wages or the penalty of sin is death. And Jesus died not for his own sin. He never sinned. He died for my sin. Again, you can make it personal, but I'm telling my story. I'm thankful that Jesus died for me. No amount of works could be done to establish a relationship with God, but he tells me that like a free gift, I can receive the forgiveness of sins, the assurance of a home in heaven by faith, by believing. And I believed. I took God at his word. And, and I'm a Christian today, not because I'm a good person, uh, but because Jesus Christ is God and he loves me and he died for me. And, and I know the Bible says he loves everybody, but I'm telling my story. If the only thing God ever did for me was save me of my sins and assure me of a home in heaven, I could never repay him in a million lifetimes, but that's not all he's done for me. God's done a lot of great things for me. And if I were to go to the very top of the list of the good things that God's uh, done for me, things that God's brought into my life, I, I'd have to go to the top of the list and and uh, tell you about my wife, Lisa. Now, many of you know her. You're not surprised that I love her. You, some of you, you still scratch your head that she likes me. Okay, well, get over it. She does. And, and uh, I'm grateful for... Uh, this wife that, that god has brought into my life proverbs 18 this wife It's the only wife i've had by the way it kind of sounded funny, but you know what I mean Proverbs 18 says this whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the lord uh, My wife's my very best friend. We have a great time together when we have big adventures They're big adventures and when we're not doing anything in particular. We enjoy just doing nothing together I'm, very thankful for my wife now, we don't get as many free nights, just open nights as, as I'd like. Uh, we're busy. I'm sure most of you would say you're busy as well. That's just kind of the world we're living in. Uh, being a pastor means there's oftentimes things happening at night. My wife is a coach, and so many times there's ball games, and both our daughters are involved in sports, and so it's very uncommon, even in the course of a week, to have you know just one night where there's nothing going on. But we've had a few of these open nights, a few of these free nights that turned in to not so good nights and it normally starts like this hey what are we doing tonight i don't have anything going on no games tonight no great what do you want to do i don't know what do you want to do i don't know you want to get something to eat i don't really know if i'm hungry Well, I'm kind of hungry. What do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? And and all of a sudden, this 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 great thing on the horizon—a free night, something great's getting ready to happen. It goes from good to not so good. Some of you are looking at me with judgmental eyes. You go through the same thing. I know you do. You know. And and how many of you had a conversation anything resembling that one? You know. What do you want to do? I don't know. And before you know it, everybody's frustrated, and and instead of having a great night, it's a it's a not so great night. Let me tell you why that happens. A night without a plan. As many times not a great night, it can become a wasted night. I told you that today to tell you this. I want you to know this morning that a life without a plan is not a great life. It's a wasted life. It's a wasted life. Now, we need to come to the place where we understand what we are trying to do and why it needs to be done and how it can be accomplished. And over these last weeks in our study, Joshua, he's understood this as well as anyone in Scripture. In his final speech before these people, he effectively says, hey folks, life is coming. Ready or not, it's coming. You need to be prepared. Life is coming. And he's telling these people that life is better lived when you're ready. And he was pleading with them to decide in advance To live a life of faithfulness, to live a life that's prepared, and to live a life that touches others so that they can be prepared as well. I want you to imagine today that I were an insurance salesman. I'm not. But imagine if I were, and one of you came to me and said, uh, hey, Steve, I need to get some life insurance. And I'd say, great, that's a good idea. And so we were to talk, and I were to get your, your age and background and maybe do, uh, uh, make sure your blood pressure's okay. I'd go through all of the information. I'd find out the value of the policy. I would find out what your rate on the policy would be. And then I want you to imagine, at the end of that, and I'm signing up the policy for you at your request, and I were to ask you, who would you like to be the beneficiary of your life insurance policy? And imagine you were to say, Steve, I've really thought about this, and I want to be the beneficiary of my own life insurance policy. I have to say it does not work that way. Because the benefit only comes when your life is done. That's how that works. When you die, the, the benefit comes. They call it a death benefit. But, you know, sometimes we live life with kind of that same mentality. It's all about me. Nothing's going to extend beyond me. It's, it's only about what we can do. We think of success in terms of ourselves Alone, and, and Joshua wanted to see some great things happen in his life. He dreamed big dreams. He got to do a lot for God. But at the end of his life, we really see in his heart a desire for everybody around him to go on and flourish. A desire for his family, his household, and his nation to do well. And in this last chapter of the book of Joshua, we find the heart of this leader telling people how they can touch the lives of others. We see this example in his life. And as we're looking at this together today, the first element I see is this. Joshua reminded the people of their heritage. Now, we're not going to take the time to read the first 13 verses uh, in in Joshua 24. But if we did, we would find that Joshua, like a historian, would have been reminding this nation of who they were and where they came from. He would have gone all the way way back to their founder, a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham. He would have talked about Abraham's son, Isaac, and his son, Jacob. He would have talked about the reality that they were in Egypt and that God, by his grace, liberated them and used Moses as their leader in that case. He would have talked about the fact that as they left Egypt, they had a trip ahead of them, and God blessed them and worked in their life and and, and God God brought them to a place where they could could have a great life. In fact, as Joshua recounted their history, he felt needed, he felt uh, uh, compelled to share with them God's take on where they were at that moment. And so he says this, and I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you built not and, and you dwell in them. Of the vineyards and olive yards which you planted uh, not do you eat. Here, Here's the statement. Hey, you guys are living in a nation that was given to you. God gave it to you. You have these cities because you defeated these, these people who were there. And you, you didn't even build them. And you, you've entered into vineyards that, that you didn't plant. You've been blessed in a great way. Now, those who are listening to Joshua would have been familiar with that story, the conquest of the land. But through it all, Joshua was conveying this, if you forget who you are, and if you forget where you've come from, you will lose direction in the course of your life. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, Dr. David Gibbs Jr. is a name many of you know. He's uh, the president of the Christian Law Association, and and he's been on CNN and Fox and a lot of places like that. He's been at our church a couple times, and uh, he's been a friend of our, our family for years. I was talking with Dr. Gibbs one day, and He spends a lot of time in Washington. He's helped write a lot of legislation, and and he's rubbed shoulders with a lot of uh, uh, people in in political power in Washington. And we were talking one day, and he began to uh, mention spending some time with someone that I think a lot of. And so I I asked him, I said, what's he really like? Yeah, he, he said, he really is a great guy. He really is, you know, and, and he talked a little bit about that. Well, then, then I started kind of asking, what about this guy? What about that guy? And oh, yeah, they're a pretty good guy and, and uh, don't know that one as well. And and uh, as we kind of began to broaden the, the circle that uh, we were talking about, I, I said, what about this person? And, uh, you know, he kind of made a comment like like when the lights from the camera go off, they're very different than what you see. And the talk kept going. And in the course of our talk, he, he said, Steve, he said, probably the most surprising thing to me. About people I've met in Washington is he said, I've met a lot. This is his his assessment. He said, I've met a lot of people in Washington. And he said, I really get the feeling that they can't stand our heritage. He said, I don't mean they're not in favor of it. He said, my impression has been they hate America. And they're there to try and totally alter everything that we've historically been known for. That was his assessment. Now, I'm sitting there and the whole the whole Mood of the conversation was like, oh, this is great. He knows these people, and I, of course, I think these are famous people. He knows them, and then the whole conversation went to that point, and it was kind of a bummer. A- and I said, well, Doctor Gibbs, listen, if that's true, then why is it that things are still relatively good? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, Steve, our nation has amazing founding documents. He said our founders, they, they really knew what they were doing. And, and, and when they crafted these, these documents, they knew exactly what they were writing. One reason our founders and subsequent leaders swear an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution is because if it was understood that if we forget who we are as a people, we'll degrade into the very system that our forefathers had to flee from. That is why President Ronald Reagan one time said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, we'll be one nation gone under he was saying don't ever forget who you are and where you've come from in the new testament for example peter had a way of telling people of faith christians uh, that they needed to remember who they were and where it is that they'd come from and he wanted to encourage them with that truth he knew you can't have a good direction in life if you don't know where it is you're coming from in first peter chapter two we find that peter was writing and he said but ye are and i'm going to read on he's talking here to christians people of faith And again, if you're here today and you say, well, that's not me. I'm not a Christian. I would say, I'm glad you're here. I hope this service is is an encouragement to you. These principles we're going to cover today, you apply them to your lives and they will work for you. And it's also our prayer that in the course of of us talking about how wonderful God is that you'll you'll want to become a Christian and and, and we'll talk about how that can be done. But to Christians, he says this, you are a a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Peter said, don't you ever forget who you are in Jesus Christ? He was encouraging them. I know that uh, for this reason, many times as a pastor, uh, I'll tell the story of our church family. I, I don't want us to forget those days in my living room or a community center or a rented conference room in a hotel or our first building, when we met with drywall, not, not taped or painted anything yet, just, just working our way through. I, I, it's important to me that we never forget who we are, where we've come from. It's important to me that we never forget why we are. You see, Joshua started here by reminding the people of their heritage. He wanted to bless and encourage them. And so he started by rehearsing all of that before them. That's where they needed to be. But as he moved on, I want you to see, secondly, that he reminded the people of their responsibility. The past was shared, and the past was basically a highlight reel of God's greatness. I mean, through verse 13, basically, it was just Joshua saying, God's awesome for this reason, and God's awesome for this reason, and God is awesome for this reason. And then he brings them to verse 14. I want you to listen to what he says in verse 14. He said, now, therefore, now I'm going to read on, but class, when you see a therefore, what do you do? See what it's there for. Thirteen verses. Joshua said, God's awesome, God's awesome, God's awesome, God's awesome. And another thing, God is awesome. Therefore, on the basis of what I've just told you for 13 verses, fear the Lord, that awesome reverent respect. Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. He said, you need to understand something. It's God that liberated you. It's God that saved you. It's God that brought you to this place. And based on the goodness of God, based on the freedom that you enjoy today, let me give you your reasonable expectation that you would see your responsibility to serve him in sincerity. Now, all along, I've sought to emphasize that the land of of promise, Canaan land here in the Bible, it's not a picture of heaven, but a picture of the victorious life. Again, if you're a Christian today, if you're a Christian today, you need to know something. You have a spiritual freedom that most people can't even comprehend. You've been blessed. You didn't pay for it, you didn't earn it, you didn't merit it, you received it by faith if you're a Christian. You've been liberated by Jesus Christ, just as these people could say it was God that brought them to where they were. I can tell you today that it's God the Son, Jesus Christ, that brought you to where you are if you're a believer today. And listen to what it is we find from Jesus in Luke chapter 12. He said, unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. How many of you would agree with me that if you're a Christian, you've received something pretty special? Unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. One great writer from years ago, a guy in the 1800s, he's an author that just kind of connects with me. His name was Graham Scroggie. He, he uh, worked at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Uh, uh, many of you may have heard of that church. And St. Charles Spurgeon was kind of a contemporary there. He, he made this statement. He said, all Christians, all Christians have eternal life not all christians have abundant life now listen to what he was saying if you're here today and you're a christian he was asserting this you have eternal life and that's a fact no doubt about it eternal life but just because you're a christian it doesn't mean that you have abundant life now he elaborates on this statement listen to what he says next he says the trouble with so many is that they are on the right side of easter but on the wrong side of Pentecost. Now, let me explain that. The right side of Easter means this. We know that Easter is the day Jesus rose again from the dead. We know that through His victorious bodily resurrection, He conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. We know that we can be believers today because of what Jesus did on Easter. So if you're a Christian today, you're on the right side of Easter. You've come to understand the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But some Christians get on the right side of Easter, but they're still on the wrong side of Pentecost. What's Pentecost? Pentecost was that great day when the church received their power from God the Spirit. That enabling, that divine enabling to help them do all that God would have them to do and to be all who God would have them to be and many Christians get stuck in between Easter and in between Pentecost we know the power of the resurrection of Jesus and that we're saved we just don't know anything at all about God's power at work in our lives to help us to do the things he'd have us to do things that would help me to be for example a loving husband or a loving father or a good friend or a good brother or sister in Christ whatever the case would be in your life. My daughter, Jessica, needed a car a while back. And so Lisa and I thought we we really need to do something about this. It was becoming a parent. We had to do something. So we went to work and we made it happen. And so my daughter, Jessica, received a car that she did not pay for. She received it by the grace of her mom and dad. She got it. For free. She didn't pay anything. With That free car that she got, there were some expectations. That she'd wash it, check the oil from time to time, check the gauges. Now, she does none of those things, okay? This is just an illustration, so work with me. Uh, she, She doesn't do those things. But, you know, imagine if she did, in a perfect world, which we don't live in. Expectations, because of this free thing, there's a responsibility that comes along with it. Now, that's not often how people think of freedom in the day in which we're living. In the day and age in which we're living, people think this way. Freedom, it begets or it brings into my life entitlement. Hey, man, here I am, and I am free, so bring on the free stuff. That's about the mindset today, right? Well, Who's offering free stuff? You get my vote. I'm all for you. Listen, freedom, it doesn't bring entitlement. Freedom brings responsibility. That's how you know if you're mature in life an immature person talks about these are my rights A mature person says these are my responsibilities and i'm going to do what's right Not because it makes me feel good, but because it's the right thing to do They didn't serve to gain freedom, but since god had freed them Therefore on the basis of all that serve god With that in mind, it would be good for each of us to ask where, when, how, how often, and to what extent are we serving God with our lives. Christians can live like practicing atheists, where nothing in our life has a connection to God or godliness. And and I think it would be good for ourselves to understand that. Now, thank God for Easter. If if you're thankful for the power of Jesus Christ that can give us salvation, say amen. Amen. I thank God for Easter, but how sad would it be to know what it is to be a Christian, but never have the power that God provided for us to actually live life the way He wants it to be lived. I want you to know that if you're saved today in the spiritual sense, you've been saved, I've been saved to serve. Paul's writing a letter to the believers in this place called Ephesus, and, and he said, Listen, we're His workmanship. If you're a Christian, you're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Here it is unto good works he created you spiritually unto good works which god hath before ordained that we should walk in them paul said listen if you're saved you've been saved to serve and so as we look at at the leadership and legacy of joshua he reminded the people of their heritage he reminded the people of their responsibility here's another thought for you he called the people to a decision i like the way it says it in verse 15 i mean he just cuts to the chase man Here's the definitive clincher for Joshua. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Everybody's going to live for someone or something. And Joshua says this. Let me cut to the chase. Let let me push any uncertainty out of the way as to what I'm getting at. I don't want anyone to say, Joshua, is this what you mean? He said, let me be very clear. Make a decision today, not tomorrow. Tomorrow today choose you this day you see friends without decisive action will squander the opportunity that faith in God affords now I'm asked from time to time why at the end of our service do we have this time we call the invitation you know and and um, and, and that's a reasonable question and the reason we do that is again as I study the life of Jesus he all the time was inviting people hey man make a decision Cross that line, so to speak. Trust me. He would invite people, come unto me. But you know, another reason we have at the end of our service is a time of, of reflection that we call the invitation. It's because I have never found a passage of Scripture in the Bible that did not call me to make a decision of one kind or another. Now, forgive me, but I have yet to study a passage in the Bible that didn't expose in my life an area where change was in order. I just haven't done it. I hope that doesn't bum anybody out, but that's the reality of it all. And so if we're going to invest time together studying the word of God, and if we're going to be real, not just playing church, not here to just punch our religious card, if we're honestly, truly here to try and study the Bible so that we can do what God wants us to do and be what God wants us to be, I've got to tell you, I don't know that any of us can study the Bible and step away from a study and go, nothing in there I needed. And Joshua was bringing these people to the time in the service we might call the invitation and he said all right i just gave you the sermon what are you going to do with it choose you this day and i think it was important that he called them to a decision i mean just imagine if they would say joshua i tell you what thanks for the talk good talk it's good 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 talk here good dialogue Uh, We're going to get back to you on that. It's been a long day. You've preached actually a pretty long time today. We're starving. So we're going to go eat lunch, watch a football game, take a nap, and then maybe we'll come back to this decision you've called us to. How many of you think they probably would have never come back to it, huh? Their lack of making a decision would have been the decision in and of itself. They wouldn't choose mediocrity. They wouldn't choose lethargy. They wouldn't choose complacency. But by lack of making a decision, that's what you get in life. And so Joshua said, listen, right here, right now, this is the time. Who are you going to serve in your life? He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want you to know something. When Joshua called these people to this decision, guess what? They said, we'll do that. We'll do that. They unanimously decided to follow. Joshua 24 and verse 16, here's what happens. The people in response to this message, they answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. So Joshua says, hey, let's serve God. And the people say, you know what? God forbid that we should not serve him. And in response to that decision, here's what we find in, in, in the next verses down. Joshua said unto the people, you can't. You can't. You cannot serve the Lord. He's a holy God. And here's the thought. And you're not holy. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Now, this seems like a contradiction to me. Here's the message of Joshua. Hey, everybody, look up here. Serve God because he's good and he's been good to you and he's given you freedom and with your freedom comes a responsibility. Serve God. And they said, great idea. We're going to serve God. And then Joshua said, you can't. You can't do that. What's up with that? He preaches a whole message calling these people to do something when they say, all right, that's what we'll do. He says, well, you know, you can't do that. You can't do that. The point of emphasis here is that, friends, we can do nothing for God in the power of our own energy or resourcefulness. The Bible word for this is flesh. We can't do anything for God in our flesh. The Apostle Paul, he, he really emphasized this thought in all his writings. In writing in the book of Galatians, he, he went on to say this. Now, this is kind of mid-letter. He didn't often start a letter off by calling people fools, but... <laughs> Paul could kind of get to the point, okay? If he was a televangelist, he wouldn't have got any offerings at all, the Apostle Paul, very direct. Here he is. Uh, are Are you that dumb? Are you guys kidding me right now? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect in the flesh? Here's what he said. Hey, you're saved spiritually, not by anything you've done, but by that which God has done for you. If you're a Christian, it's because Jesus saved you, and spiritually you entered into that relationship by faith. He said, are you telling me you're going to try and live this spiritual life in the power of material flesh? Friends, if you're saved, you've been saved by faith. And the Bible tells us that we're to live by faith. It's our responsibility. Our responsibility to the freedom we have in Christ is to live for him and to serve him, to acknowledge our life is from him and because of him. I like that word responsibility, and I like to break it down. Listen, our responsibility is found in our response. To his ability, his power. If someone were to tell me, Steve, you just can't do it, I'd have to say, you are right. But God can do anything. And if he calls me to a work, I can do it, not because I'm great, I can't do it, but he can. And so I want to respond to his ability in my life. We're saved by faith, we're to live by faith. Here's the final thought, and we'll be done. I want us to see finally today that Joshua, he led by example. He was near the end of his life, he's an old man. He's basically telling these people, look, I love you. I want you to get it right. Don't waste your life. Uh, and, and in the closing words, he shares his heart. And, and listen to what Joshua says here. The final, final time before these people, he's pouring out his heart. He says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, I just love that. Clearly, uh, th- this was his way of saying that as the leader of the family, they had talked there was an agreement they had talked as a family and come to the point where we've, listen, we've got a, deci- a decision here as a leader. He led his family to that point, but clearly he was speaking on behalf of the whole family. He said everybody's going to live for something, and we've just come to the conclusion what we're going to do is gonna, we're going to live for God. We're going to serve God. I wonder, have, have our families had conversations like that? And sometimes conversations don't always go well. This was a result of a life well lived, a man who'd, who'd worked very much. How many of you ever heard of that show, Dr. Phil? you have you? good some of you need to get out a little more okay <laughs> very good um i i i know a guy that was watching dr phil and and dr phil said if you have a bad conversation as soon as it's done you know yeah you as soon as it's done you need to ask the question out loud to the person you had the conversation with how could this conversation have gone better and i i mean to me that makes sense evaluate for excellence you know so we're always trying to become better and and this guy said that uh, not too long after he heard that, he and his uh, wife had an argument, you know. And so as soon as it was done, he asked his wife, how could this uh, talk have gone better? And she said, it would have gone better if I would had it with someone else. You know, now that's a bad talk. You, you don't want to have talks that, that end like that. I want you to know Joshua wasn't some autocratic, tyrannical leader, top-down, trying to conform his family into his image. This was the testimony of a man who loved his family He'd been faithful to his family. He was there for them. And as a result of the testimony of his life, he now has the influence where he can say, look, let me tell you something about our family. His testimony wasn't we're a perfect family. There isn't one. But he said, I want you to know, we've grown to the point in our lives where we've just decided together we're going to serve God. That's what we're going to do. We, we've, just, we've come to that point. Joshua's statement of his family's devotion, it was a credit to his leadership, yes, but it was a credit to a family that had been developed. They found agreement on their purpose. And Joshua's faithfulness, it it affected not only his life, the fact that he lived life ready. It didn't just affect him, it affected a family. And as a family now is is able to inspire others and help others, the point I'm trying to make is there is power in an example. One of the very best ways to teach those in your life of the value of living ready or not is by living it out yourself. That way when you talk about it, they'll know what you're talking about. They'll understand. Too often parents and leaders alike, you know, we say, well, well, no, 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 no. Don't do what I do. Just do what I say. Just do what I tell you to do. That didn't work when our parents used that with us. It's not going to work with those we're leading. Don't do what I do. Just do what I say. No, people follow example. You see, our talk talks and our walk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. And I'm not saying don't talk. I'm not saying stop teaching. I'm not saying stop sharing. I'm saying we've got to come to the place where we understand that there can be no incongruity between what I say is right and what I do with my life. Joshua was the kind of man who at the end of his life could stand up. And it didn't need to be said, but I always say this for fear of the one that goes, well, you know, you guys just think you're perfect. Nobody, nobody thinks they're perfect. Get off my case, man, okay? <laughs> Sometimes you might get the wrong idea. He was able to come to the end of his life and say, look, it's good, God's real, and, and we want to serve him, and there was a family that bore witness to his testimony. As I started the message, I told you how to have a bad night with your wife. Remember that? Okay, now let me tell you this. We've had a lot of really good ones, too, uh, we, we've, we've had some great times. Nights, I'm talking about where we were ready. A plan was made. We followed through on the plan. We had a great time. Um, and the difference was made by preparation, being ready. being. Re- I, I'm not ruling out spontaneity, but, but I, I'm, I'm talking about that heart that's that just prepared. Joshua began his life as a leader by helping those around him. To live life today with tomorrow in mind. The very first word out of the mouth of Joshua as a leader to his people was prepare. Hey, look, in three days we got a journey coming up. Get ready. Prepare. He lived his life getting those around him prepared for tomorrow. He was a loving and a generous and a faithful man to the very end. And this was the end for him. And I don't know about you, but we're all going to have an end one day. If someone could evaluate my life it's, let me tell you about Steve. He, he was a faithful man. He was faithful. He was faithful to his wife and to his children. He was a faithful friend. Most of all, if they could say he was faithful to Jesus. I'd like that. If, if they could say he, he was a generous guy, it wasn't all about him. It was it was really about understanding his life just plugged into a bunch of lives around him, preceding him and those coming after. And, and he lived a generous life, helping, serving, ministering to those around him. I, I would like to think someone uh, could say that 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 would be to me a life well lived. Isn't that isn't that what we all would say we want? Well, the question could be this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Have you come to the point in your life where you're living today with tomorrow in mind? I want us to think of what God has done and consider your response to his ability. I'm saying today, make a decision. Make a decision and follow through. You'll be shocked at what it is God can do. Now, I'm going to invite you all at this time just to join me in standing. Let's just stand together and uh, let's bow our heads kind of in in a spirit of prayer. This is that time I talked about in the message that we call the invitation time, the end of the message.